Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are here with Richard Gentry today. He is an internationally acclaimed author, researcher, and educational consultant, which sounds very fancy, known for his groundbreaking work in education topics such as early literacy. But the thing we're going to talk to him today that we are most excited about is spelling. We have not talked a lot about (laughs) spelling and we can't wait to learn more. He has a game for us or an act is a game or an activity. Um, either way, it should be really fun. (laughs) And, uh, and we don't have to tell if we were wrong or not. So that's, that's very appealing to us. Um, Don't have to take a spelling test. (laughs) No, Uh, I know what we should talk about spelling tests too. It's, it's a, it's actually a pretest, but you get to self-correct. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> that, you know what? That self-correcting is learning. That. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, Richard, welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled welcome. to have you. You're such fun. Laurie and Melissa, I'm just uh, delighted to be here, honored to be here. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, Absolutely. of course. We're, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Richard, is there anything else? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'll tell you a little more about myself. Uh, (laughs) Please do. Our our audience, I I want you to know that I was a, uh, well, first of all, I'm coming to you from my home on the Gulf Coast of uh, the United States uh, from beautiful historic Mobile, Alabama, uh, the birthplace of Mardi Gras. So right in the middle of... Oh, we're in the middle of it right now. Yeah. 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 And uh, we're we're having about a million people here. Uh, Ours is a little different, a little more family friendly than uh, New Orleans. And um, we like to everybody to know that we uh, came up with it first. I lived so, in New Orleans uh, for two uh, years and I love Mardi Gras. <laughs> oh, everybody does. So everybody does. <laughs> it is very fun. And um, I want everybody to know that I was a third, uh, fourth and fifth grade teacher. I did a uh, elementary education major at the University of North Carolina. After teaching, I went, I did a master's degree and PhD in reading at the University of Virginia. For 16 years, I directed a reading center at Western Carolina University. Um, I was full and tenured professor, but I took a big risk. I gave up the university position and became self-employed as a uh, researcher, uh, writer, and educational consultant. I have 17 books, and my most recent book is we're all uh, interested in the science of reading, and my most recent book is Brain Words, How the Science of Reading Informs Teaching. And I did that, oh, thank you, um, with my co-author, who is a renowned reading scientist, Dr. Jean Ouellette. And uh, I think one of the things that makes our author and reading educator team special is that we both come out of the classroom and uh, Gene leaves his classroom and spends a lot of time 
not outside his uh, science lab, working with children and teachers in schools. His wife, Katrina, is also a uh, teacher. So um, we think that's so important in helping teachers understand the science of reading from cognitive psychology and neuroscience and how we need to uh, be informed and translate that into science-based practice in the classroom. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for uh, inviting me to uh, Melissa and Lori love literacy because I love literacy too. <laughs> I know we can tell. <laughs> yeah, Richard, I've had brain words. I've actually had the book for, I don't know how long, but I've had it for a while and I didn't dig into it because I was honestly a little bit scared of it. So I was like, oh, this just, this feels like, I don't know, heavy. They're like, <laughs> I'm not going to understand uh -huh. it. That's how yeah. I was like really nervous, but I was like, if I'm talking to him this week, I got to dig into it. So um, I'm glad to report that it is not that way, that I, <laughs> there is definitely a lot to learn. And that was, it was, you know, there were parts where I was like, oh, this is new for me, especially around brain science and things like that. But um, it, it was really, really great. And like you said, there's so many applications to the classroom and like, how do you you know, it's not just theory, but it is like, what do you, what do you do in the classroom? And so it was, it was a really good read this week. So thank you so much. Oh, wonderful. And, you know, let me say this. Um, uh, we are uh, so proud. The book has become, uh, Brain Words uh, has become a bestseller. And one of the things that teachers tell us is uh, that unlike a lot of the science of reading uh, books from scientists. This one is not 400 pages long. It's uh, uh, designed to be uh, uh, easy for teachers and compatible um, with, uh, you don't have to know a lot of jargon mm -hmm. uh, in the neuroscience literature or the cognitive science literature. Um, and uh, so uh, thank you. I'm just delighted you are giving us this uh, exposure here on the podcast today. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Can you, would you mind doing a little summary of it for those listening who, I know Melissa just did a little, oh, I thought it was scary and it's not scary because <laughs> it sounds very so we're talking about brain words and but can you can you just give a little insight into uh, what it might be about a little snapshot for listeners? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, one of the things that will happen in our podcast today is that um, you'll all learn exactly what brain words are. Um, mm -hmm. We start out with two chapters on the uh, architecture of the reading brain, and that's a, a little bit. Uh, uh, technical and scary because you you, you know you see the uh, uh, terminology uh, that uh, you may not know you know the different lobes of the brain and we tried to uh, make that uh, as palatable as as possible without scaring everyone away but then it it goes into um, all the rest of the chapters are very much uh, application chapters. Uh, there's a chapter on uh, the uh, phases of invented spelling. Um, there's a chapter for a special chapter for how to to uh, do uh, teach beginning reading in kindergarten and first grade based on science, and then a chapter on 
grades two and beyond, the importance of spelling, uh, why our uh, view of uh, the importance of spelling has changed over two decades based on science. And uh, we really point out that spelling uh, has been given short shrift and we need to uh, bring it back. And then finally, it ends up with a chapter on dyslexia. And mm. I like to tell teachers I'm an expert on dyslexia because I've, I'm a lifelong dyslexic person myself. So, uh, and in many ways, that's given me insights into what uh, parents need to know and what teachers need to know about uh, dyslexia. So uh, uh, I hope people will check out the brain words, how the science of reading informs teaching. That sounds amazing. I'm, I am fascinated with how the brain works. And it, I wonder how, you know, I got to this point in my career without really understanding it. Um, I'm, I bet lots of other teachers are wondering that same thing, like just realizing that we should, as educators and practitioners, be aware of that. And we're so grateful for you for giving us that knowledge. So thank you. And I can't wait to to jump into some of the content for today. And um, did you want to start with the game or the activity? I kind of want to know what it is. So I'm so curious. Like, I'm really bad at waiting. Um, but oh. if you think it would fit at a better time, we can talk about spelling first and then go, go into the activity. <laughs> I think I think this is the perfect time. I think, you know, I, I, it could not be set up better because the whole purpose of the little activity is to answer this question. What are brain words? Ooh. And the activity um, is something that... Uh, any teacher in first grade through grade six and even beyond can use. It is a uh, five-step spelling process, okay, for a pretest. So what we're doing, what I'm doing, is giving you a science-based spelling pretest activity. Okay. So let me begin just um, <clears throat> listing the steps. Uh, step one will be. Uh, this is what you would do maybe at the beginning of a week of uh, spelling study for a grade level classroom. And we would, uh, so imagine you have a spelling book and you want to do a pretest on Monday. Um, and then this would be a test study test that would study the words, do activities throughout the week, and then there would be a post-test on Friday. So this is a pretest activity. And again, five steps. And you might want to write these down if you have a pen and paper hand handy. Step number one is you hear the word. And you will hear the word in a sentence. So what we're doing in this step is we're beginning with sound and meaning. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you to say the word. That's step number two. Mm -hmm. uh, step number two is to activate your phonological awareness. Uh, are you phonologically aware in your brain of how to uh, pronounce this word? And the teacher is modeling the um, correct pronunciation of the word for phonological awareness. Step number three is that you will write the word. You're going to spell it. And interestingly, by step number three, you have not seen the word. We, this is a sound-to-spelling 
activity mm-hmm. and encoding sound to spelling activity. And uh, step number four is that for the first time, you're now going to see the word. Now, of course, on our podcast today, you won't be able to see the word, but I'm going to give you the spelling and you're going to, ma- you know, you can write it down, uh, the correct spelling. You can just write it down and that will uh, uh, represent step number four, reading okay. the word. And in and, and step number four, you do um, a, uh, an analysis of your own, you, you self-correct. You will analyze the word. And you see, this is not just looking at a word and trying to memorize the word, but you're actually engaging your, your brain uh, with this internal representation, uh, representation of the brain, of the word in your left hemisphere. And then what would want, step number five would be using it. And you would be um, using the word in science-based activities throughout the week uh, just for a short period of time. Integrated word study generally um, speaking is 20 minutes a day. And as you're going to, as you, uh, you see in our integrated word study, we're uh, integrating a lot of different aspects of word study as opposed to teaching uh, separate lessons in phonics and phonological awareness and vocabulary and sight word recognition. We're, we're integrating all of that within this, this one uh, weekly study. So um, uh, if you're re- uh, let, yeah, let me just, uh, before we start, brain words are internal representations in the left hemisphere of your brain, and brain words are part of the architecture of the reading brain. And one thing about spelling that's important to point out is that all of us are born with spoken language circuitry. You come into the world and you have architecture in your brain that enables you to easily learn to speak the language that you are exposed to. And if you're exposed to more than one language, you can pretty easily pick that uh, lang- uh, both languages up. The <clears throat> interesting thing, though, is in contrast, no one is born with reading circuitry. Reading has to be taught. And this little activity uh, is to demonstrate that... Spelling is at the very foundation of the uh, reading architecture or reading circuitry in the brain. And often you, don't, you aren't aware that you are using the brain word or the visual representation of uh, a spelled word when you read because it's in your long-term memory. You have you, uh, you have committed it to long-term memory, and you aren't aware that in the you know left hemisphere, that area called orthographic processing or the word form area, you're actually using spelling to read and comprehend. So that's what we're trying to um, demonstrate today. Are you ready? Yes. Here's your first word. Okay. All right. My neighbor, I'm giving you the meaning, has a black and white dog, okay? The word is, you're going to hear it, dog. Okay, now you say it, please. 
Dog. Okay. Now I want you to spell the word. I jumped the gun. I did that before. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, because you see, you already knew you had that brain word. Okay. Um, Now, step number four is to read it. Of course, we can't read it today, but I'm going to spell it for you. Um, and ask you to self-correct. The word is spelled D-O-G. Now you can read it and self-correct. Well, I, you know, am sure, and we already know from Melissa, that dog is a brain word for you. And you had no uh, conscious uh, awareness that you were actually using the uh picture of dog and a visual image of dog to activate uh, dog for spelling it because it's a brain word you're not even conscious that you're using spelling Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that you chose a word that we knew I was very stressed about thank you (laughs) okay well just relax because we're not going to know unless you want to share with us whether you have a uh, complete representation of the spelling of the next word or a partial representation of the spelling or whether you don't even have a clue we're not going to know but you know uh, that's the that's the whole importance of a pretest Okay, the next word, you're going to hear it in a sentence. My neighbor's dog is a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. And the word for you today is Cavalier. Okay, now you say it, please. Cavalier. Okay, very good. Now I want you to write it. Nobody's watching you write it, so we'll never know. <laughs> we'll be honest with everyone. <laughs> okay. And apparently, uh, Lori thinks she has it correct. She's brave enough to be honest. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, I'm going to, step number four, okay, again, is to read it, uh, but uh, you can't read it until I give you the correct spelling. So, you write it down. The word cavalier is spelled C-A-V-A-L-I-E-R, cavalier. Now, you self-correct. Compare your spelling with the visual spelling. Now, integrated word study, which is what we're doing in this pretest, includes developing phonological awareness. So one of the things uh, that one could use is called a the syllable chin drop. It's very powerful to spell words by syllables. That's why we teach things like the six syllable types. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to put your fist right under your chin mm-hmm. and say the word cavalier. Cavalier. Yeah. Cavalier. You you felt your chin drop three times? Mm -hmm. Three syllables. Okay. Integrated word study also reinforces phonics. For example, cavalier has three syllables. The first syllable is a closed syllable. The next syllable is a swa syllable. And the third syllable is a vowel team syllable. So um, you see, all of this is 
really importantly integrated into spelling word study. Spelling word study also includes developing vocabulary, meaning, and grammar. For example, uh, a, a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel is a noun. It's a small spaniel. But uh, we can extend that uh, vocabulary. Cavalier can also mean a horseman, uh, can mean a mounted soldier. Imagine, the, visualize a, a bunch of uh, medieval uh, cavaliers coming you know, up to the French castle. Uh, it can also be an adjective. It can mean disdainful, such as an arrogant and cavalier attitude toward others. Or as an adjective, it, it might even mean uh, offhanded. The very dignified officials were confused by his cavalier manner. So uh, that's what a brain word is. And uh, it's a uh, science-based, very practical activity that anyone who is teaching spelling in, kin in first grade through sixth grade and beyond uh, can remember to uh, to use. And one thing that comes out of that is the importance of uh, syllable types. Uh, it's important in the science of reading that all teachers recognize the uh, six syllable types and uh, that recognize that we use those throughout uh, elementary school, even into middle school and beyond. When, as an adult, you learn to uh, spell a word, you see a new word, uh, you should think about it in terms of the sounds and the letter combinations for each syllable. So there you have it. There's, <laughs> there's a brain word activity. How'd you do? You don't have to tell us. But <laughs> it's great. It's great. It was fun. <laughs> I, well, I was thinking I would, if I were teaching, you know, fifth grade again, I would call this a game and play it so uh, yeah. often with my students. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's the thing that uh, we often rec uh, don't recognize with the science of reading. There's uh, not any part of it that, uh, in my view, shouldn't be joyful and fun. Uh, you know, phonics study is not about sitting down uh, in a desk with worksheets or, uh, you know, short-term memory of uh, words. Uh, it's engaging, really fun word study. Uh, and and, and that's, that's how we would like uh, teachers to visualize or think about spelling. Yeah. Richard, I would love to, to practice this and try this out with Presley, my daughter. She's in fourth uh -huh. grade. Is that something that I can... Do you mind if I record it and like maybe put it on social media and, and tag you in it? Is that okay? Oh, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd love that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it would really be helpful. Like and as an example for teachers and educators out there to see this as, as an accompaniment to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I, think that, I, I love that idea. Yeah. Yes. I, I won't do it with her doing it re in reverse to me because I'm sure she'll want to play the teacher, but we'll skip that part. Uh, we'll just do the part where I'm the teacher. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you make it fun for her. So <laughs> that's always good. Yes. We do have a lot of fun. <laughs> can I um, ask? This, that, was, that was really fun. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, um, you know, I think back to my days in school and my spelling tests were 
this is this is how I felt them. I don't know that my teacher meant them this way, but how I felt them as a student was here's a list of 20 random words for the week. And I would spend that week yes. at home memorizing them. I would put them on flashcards. You know, I would have my mom go through them with me and I would memorize those spellings until that Friday test. And I would get that test back with, you know, which ones I got right, which ones I got wrong. And then we moved to the next list. <laughs> How yes. is this yeah. different than what I felt as a student? Okay. Well, what you were experiencing was not based on science, uh, and it, it, did, it, it really didn't involve any teaching. Uh, what, what I call that is assign and test. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they gave you a list of words, uh, and one thing you pointed out is that the words weren't organized according to uh, phonics or syllable patterns, uh, uh, you know, seemingly random list of words. Uh, and, you know, in too many places where uh, we, you know, we've uh, not had any uh, science-based teaching of spelling. And, and in fact, in the last two decades, uh, three decades, in as a result of uh, Quite frank, frankly, uh, whole language uh, domination sounds like you were in a whole language spelling book. Uh, we simply uh, were told that spelling wasn't important and we didn't need to teach spelling. And so what you were doing on Thursday night when your parents <laughs> dreaded coming in and having it to, was you know, Thursday call night. Up. Yes. Thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you were memorizing the words, you were putting the words in short-term memory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happens with many kids is that the problem is that if the words are in short-term memory, um, you're, not going to memor you're not going to remember them. You have to tr get those words into long-term memory before they're brain words. And that's why we have this recommendation for a test study throughout the week using different uh, types of activities, maybe 20 minutes a day. And the, the, the concept is that you're encountering the words in different kind of activities often enough so that those words by the Friday are transferring into your long-term memory. And mm -hmm. you aren't even aware when we, you know, spell uh, dog that you were using the spelling. But uh, that's absolutely how the brain architecture for literacy works. You have to have spelling. And one of the reasons that, uh, that I'm speaking out about the science of reading is that in so many schools and districts, we've absolutely shoved spelling onto the back burner. Mm -hmm. uh, principals say, teachers, you don't need to teach spelling you know, we have spell check. Uh, you, you know, just uh, do a uh, test prep activity if, you know, if your school is worried about the test, um, oh, test scores. Teachers tell me all the time heart. that this is what they're hearing. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> and the problem is that the, uh, we now know from uh, cognitive psychology and neuroscience that uh, we have to... Uh, that spelling is at the very core and that we have to teach spelling. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, problem, and, and we also know from research uh, that spelling uh, in the brain 
is uh, critical for reading comprehension. So, you know, when you have, have teachers say, well, we don't need to do spelling, we need to do comprehension work. Well, you know, my response to that is if kids can't read words, automatic word recognition, uh, recognition, uh, automatic word reading, uh, then they can't comprehend. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it's, it's just so important to recognize that, um, that we, we really must, in places where we push spelling on the back burner, or in places where we're haphazard about it, uh, mm -hmm. there are a lot of different haphazard things can happen uh, with, with teachers just pulling words off the internet or, uh, and quite frankly, the spelling component in many of the major reading programs is what I would call haphazard spelling. Um, you know, the, too many of those reading programs, they just have too much, they're not very congenial to teachers. There's just too much stuff. And, you know, they can't, they, they're not integrating spelling. They have a spelling lesson, a phonics lesson. Sometimes they, not even the same words as a vocabulary lesson. There's uh, maybe a sight word lesson and maybe even a spelling component and maybe even a list of spelling words. But the, the teacher has to somehow put all that together along with all of that other stuff. And so teachers just need resources for teaching science-based spelling and uh an understanding of how important things like uh, knowledge about six syllable types and how important it is for all kids who are uh, learning to read and going up through the elementary grades to be um, and to know that spelling is is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that you had said previously is that the the well, in our pre-call, not on this podcast, so I'll say that yeah. the, <laughs> the the phases of spelling are really shown in children's writing. Is that right? It's absolutely right, and that's uh, one of the important parts of the uh, uh, Brain Words book, Chapter Five. I think is on uh, early phases of spelling development, and there are five phases. Um, uh, phase zero. Uh, starts, it's, it's not a phase, it's zero, because uh, it often happens in preschool, and it's just wavy writing or loopy writing. That's where my uh, son is. Kids cannot write. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Elliot, yeah. Elliot is in that phase now. Yeah, yeah, how old is he? Three. How old is he? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and uh, phase one begins... Uh, with the first time that the child is able to uh, write his or her name. It's a beginning kindergarten phase, and it's called pre-alphabetic uh, because mm -hmm. a kid can stream together some letters, but it's not uh, – it's pr before a child recognizes how the alphabet works, pre-alphabetic, because those random letters don't represent sounds. And that's what an alphabet system is. is it's the letters uh, represent sounds. Uh, so then the at least by the end, uh, by the middle of kindergarten, kids should move from phase 
one to phase two in the second half of kindergarten. And this is at minimal. Many kids will go faster than, than this or beyond that. But they all go through the same phases. And phase two, second half of kindergarten, is called partial alphabetic spelling. So for the first time, they are beginning to recognize how that alphabet system works, that the letters are a, supposed to represent sounds, but it's only partial because they don't know all of the letters of the alphabet and all of the sounds that they uh, represent. So mm -hmm. from there, they move to phase three, which uh, in general is very, very important for the first half of first grade. And it's called full alphabetic spelling. And imagine a child is uh, drawing a picture of an eagle that she saw at the zoo, and she wants to write about uh, this eagle. And she's in phase three. Uh, she's going to be able to spell all the sounds in the word. But likely what she's going to do, you'll hear her if you're standing by, she'll say, eagle, e and she'll have to think, hmm, what letter makes that sound? Then she has to think, hmm, how, how do I write an E? Mm. Then she'll say, guh, guh. Oh, yeah, that's G. She'll write a G and eagle, oh, and maybe come up with an L. So eagle, E-G-L, is a phase three full alphabetic spelling, full alphabetic, because it spells all the sounds. But English doesn't work that way. So what has to happen <laughs> is that kids have to move to phase four, which generally happens in the last half of, a, uh, of first grade, and move to what's uh, called automatic consolidated alphabetic spelling. So what they do is they consolidate letters into chunks, like syllable chunks. So eagle, in that phase, might be spelled e-gul, G-U-L. And that's a, uh, a tremendous, a tremendous uh, uh, psychological uh, advancement for kids. At the same time, they are uh, learning more and more words as brain words. So imagine the kids in a research-based spelling book. By the end of first grade, guess how many brain words that child should have. You don't have to say it out loud, but uh, a child at that phase, end of first grade, moving into second grade, should have 300-plus brain words, words that they can automatically spell. And if the way we're teaching in kindergarten and first grade doesn't have most kids at the end of first grade with 300 plus brain words, then there is likely to be um, a need to reevaluate, you know, what, what's going on there. Because that's what enables kids to something called self-teaching uh, kicks in and they will pick up uh, many, you don't have to teach all the words in the language. Of course, you can't do that. But they will begin, their brain architecture will be able to uh, 
self-teach from reading. They'll pick up many words by analogy to the words that they do know. Um, so there, you know, that, that's the uh, important work that I have done uh, in all my career and many others, including folks at the uh, spelling folks uh, who came out of the University of Virginia. And also very important work in uh, automatic word reading coming from a, a separate line of research, the, the uh, research done by Linnea Erie, mm -hmm. uh, which has been so powerful in, in, in leading the science of reading. And here's a, here's a quote from Linnea Erie. She says, poor spellers do not develop into skilled readers. Spelling instruction must remain an important goal of teachers and schools. So, uh, so important that we recognize that. She also says it's uh, clear that students need explicit spelling instruction as well as explicit reading instruction. And what she's talking about there is decoding as well as phonics and encoding. Yeah. And what she's also talking about there is that uh, that part of uh, instruction for early kids, the, the, the importance of these phases, shows that acquisition of reading architecture is reciprocal. That is, the phonics helps the uh, spelling and the decoding helps the spelling and the uh, encoding the spelling helps the reading. And in fact, many kids do learn to read, learn to decode, by going through these phases of invented spelling. So many kids uh, will learn to read by uh, going through these five phases. And I was going to so ask it's you... Fun. And it's, yes. I was going to ask you about those phases. I, I, I went through the letters training pretty recently, and we talked about Aries' uh, read word reading phases. Um, and they, uh -huh. I mean, when you talked through the phases of the spelling, it sounds like they're very, very similar. <laughs> uh, they are they are absolutely aligned. They are exactly the same thing. Yeah. Now there are some al there are some alternative theories of how um, spelling develops, mm -hmm. but uh, there uh, this work based on uh, Gene and my work and others. Uh, and based on uh, word, automatic word reading, based on Lanier Erie's work, which has dovetailed two, mm -hmm. two lines of research, different lines of research, with have dovetailed, are literally uh, supported by hundreds of uh, uh, science studies in cognitive psychology and, and yeah. even neuroscience. So it's all been very fun. And imagine as kids are going through these phases, here's, here's how it would look in the classroom. Um, you would have the kid beginning in kindergarten, uh, draw a picture of something he or she's interested in. Maybe it's my pet, and uh, maybe the, 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 the kid draws a picture, uh, just a sketch, not art, but a quick picture of the cat, and you talk about it because the, the uh, bringing out the oral language is so important in all of this. Um, you, you know, what does your cat eat? Uh, 
has he ever done anything funny? And kids are really having fun talking about their pets and their pictures. But they're also, this is kind of like planning the story they're going to write. Um, and they're getting background knowledge to put in the story. And then they, uh, at one of these, at, you know, whatever phase they're in, they write the story. And then, then there's another step. Another step is to, ha to have the teacher do the publication of the story. That is, the teacher writes the story in uh, conventional English. So if the ch child wrote at the beginning of kindergarten, um, this is Buzz, the teacher and would write under it in correct spelling, this is Buzz, and the child would learn to read back his or her own story, and they're thrilled to do that. Look, you know, it, it's, it's uh, easier to read because they wrote it. They have the background information for it. They're using their own language, uh, and it's just a, a fun and joyful way to uh, learn to spell without having to do anything with worksheets mm -hmm. or uh, you know, memorizing or driving your parents crazy because they have to call out all those words every Thursday <laughs> night. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Let me readjust my mic, mic there. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're good. Oh, good, good. I have a question thank about you. Yeah, that. Thank um, you for... Sorry, why? Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. I just wanted to say thank you for, for giving that practical example and thank you for naming, too, that the other ways to to teach spelling were really not effective because they land in the short-term memory versus the long-term mm -hmm. memory. So I appreciate that being called out very much. And I know that it brings up some things for me that I used to do, you know, when I was a teacher, I remember my, my first couple of years doing some of that stuff that might've landed in the short-term memory. So <laughs> thanks for giving me tools to use with my own child now to, that will help uh, land those words in the long-term memory. So thanks Richard. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know, there's one other point that uh, about uh, this work that we're discussing that's that uh, is often overlooked or uh, not uh, uh, get given the recognition that it needs, and that is that uh, there may be uh, as much many as. 10%, and some scientists say 2% of kids who do have learning disability uh, and uh, or dyslexia. Dyslexia is the most, uh, most often um, a, uh, learning disability that there is for, for reading. Mm -hmm. And the thing about these five phases is that you can detect dyslexia if you're watching the watching for the phases as early, uh, even m maybe kindergarten, but uh, as for sure in as early as first grade, and that's so important because that's uh, all about early intervention. So those red flag symptoms of dyslexia uh, can be recognized much sooner. Uh, too often, uh, you know, kids aren't. Uh, for learning disabilities aren't identified until uh, third grade or fourth grade. And, and, and that's just too late. Uh, we need early intervention. So uh, I always call 
spelling a dyslexia-specific intervention. So important that we pay attention to spelling. I want to make sure we get to Melissa's question from a minute so ago, but questions. what can, I know, can, can you share a couple of the red flags that you might see in the phases? Like what, if I'm a teacher, what might I look for in as kids, as I'm going through those phases with my students and like, what should I look for as they're writing? Well, one thing you would look for is um, if they are in fact going in the, uh, uh, phases that I described from mm-hmm. phase one to phase two to phase three. In phase three, suppose you have a child who is all over the place. That is, you see some phase uh, one spellings, you see some phase two spellings. What you should see is the dominant uh, strategy that they, it, they're using. So if you look at a lot of phase three writing, the dominant strategy should be that they are doing full alphabetic spelling. But if you see a conglomeration, then that's, that's a, uh, a red flag. And also it, it shows us what to teach. Um, if you are working in, in first grade with a first half of the year, you, are, uh, no, you know there's certain patterns that no matter what reading program or phonics program you're using, there's certain patterns that have to be taught. For example, uh, the CVC short vowel pattern is probably the most important pattern in English. Children normally will not spell that uh, correctly in phase three uh, because uh, short vowels don't sound like the letter name that they're trying to spell. And another one is the long vowel um, uh, that syllable that ends in a V in words like no, go, or um, uh, it, me, he. All of those are words that we should be seeing spelled correctly by the end of phase three as kids move into phase four. And if those aren't brain words, then that's a uh, a red flag. Another red flag is how many words they're spelling correctly and how much they are struggling to get those words into long-term memory. If you have kids who are in phase um, four, there should be many more words in a, a two-page piece of writing you know, or one-page story. They, many more words should be spelled correctly than uh, incorrectly. And so there, again, that would be a red flag. Other red flags would include things like uh, how the kids are pronouncing words. Are they, uh, are they showing phonological awareness, for example, uh, or are they having uh, certain, when they articulate certain words, do they mix up syllable sounds, uh, aluminum uh, or aluminum, you know, <laughs> are they... Mispronouncing it, uh, paschetti instead of spaghetti, uh, you know, those can, be, uh, those can be red flags as well. So, uh, it's so it's so powerful in showing teachers what they need to teach and, and recognizing early on that kids who may have some processing difficulty with both sounds, letter sound correspondence, decoding and encoding. 
That actually kind yeah, of gets so, to my question, <laughs> which was, oh, good, good. I, you know, I was this, the state steps you, you took us through are pretty, it's pretty simple. Like as a teacher, I'd be like, yeah, I could, I could do that tomorrow with my students. Right. But I think the hard part is knowing which words. And I was wondering if you had any practical advice of like, where, what do you go for the right words <laughs> to use for your students? Yeah. Yeah. That's such an important question. And um, it's, it's a, it's, it's what I've been doing really all my career. And that is providing teachers with a grade by grade spelling book curriculum. And so uh, if you're, you know, skeptical about that, uh, go to a research-based spelling uh, textbook, you know, uh, you can Google my name and you come up with one and look at the table of contents and you'll see how very specific the uh, words and also the lessons are for uh, 20 minutes a day of spelling instruction. And it really uh, is what we have not used as a result of whole language domination in many schools. Ken Goodman, for example, uh, in uh, What's Whole and Whole Language, a very powerful book, uh, said kids don't need to uh, uh, spelling books. He said, you know, use that money for good children's literature. Of course we want good children's literature. But that, that uh, notion of whole language has been debunked. Now, I can talk about whole language. I uh, was part of the movement. I studied with the late Ken uh, and Yetta Goodman at University of Arizona. I studied MISQ analysis, the three queuing system. I uh, have tremendous respect for all of the uh, contributions whole language brought. Uh, respect for teachers and uh, uh, equity for children, good children's literature, all, all of that's so important uh, that came out of whole language. But uh, here, three decades later, based on new cognitive science and neuroscience, there uh, are things that we really, in, uh, really do need to uh, look at. I mean, after all, after uh, three decades, shouldn't we be doing some different things, uh, especially in light of the fact that so many of our kids, a third of the kids, can't read proficiently right. at, at fourth grade level. There's okay. something wrong. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with that system. And it, I, you know, I would say to any teacher, if your kids know uh, 200, uh, 300 plus words at the end of first grade as brain words, keep doing what you're doing. If your kids in fourth grade uh, take a fourth grade level spelling test and they are spelling uh, on grade level. 90% of them are spelling on grade level. Keep doing what you're doing. But uh, if not, then we need to uh, uh, reconsider what it is that we can do better. And I, you know, I think teachers are passionate. They, they, uh, they all want to um, have the tools that they need in order to be successful. But many teachers in the last couple of decades haven't been given these, school, uh, these tools. They haven't been uh, trained in uh, the kind of you know, knowledge about beginning reading six-syllable types, uh, even how to do handwriting, you know, with simplified handwriting language. Uh, and, and that's so important as well. So um, 
it's, it's, it's good, powerful work that we have ahead. Yeah. And I feel like it's work that has clear answers. There's a, you know, like this, or at least clear strategies, clear ways. Uh, this yeah. example that you provided to us today, you know, with the activity, the, um, the way that you've, uh, shared in your book, you know, what are brain words? If anybody wants to learn more about that and, you know, the direct connection between the phases of spelling and the word reading phases, there's, there are very clear ways to approach some of these, these things that we have questions about as educators. So we're super grateful for your time today. Um, I know we were coming to a close and we'd love to hear your advice for, for educators out there in the, in the trenches doing this good spelling work. Well, my advice is just, you know, uh, keep, keep passionate and, uh, about what you're doing. Uh, we're so, uh, recognize as of COVID how very important uh, essential teachers are. Uh, there's no one more essential than teachers and you need our support and you need uh, the tools and strategies to be successful. So uh, I, I'm just thrilled to have been invited and uh, I, I just uh, want to, you know, Thank every teacher in America and wish them well, because it's been a tough couple of yes. years. Teachers. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. for. I feel like we could pick your brain forever. So thank you so much for sharing with us. We'll have to have you. This is come so back. fun. Um, yeah. And um, if you, do you want to share real quick that you were just interviewed for a documentary as well? I was. I was uh, uh, just in uh, New Orleans uh, to interview with a, a very important, uh, uh, a very important documentary that is uh, being developed called "The Truth About Reading." Uh, it is uh, being uh, produced by a famous Hollywood uh, product producer, Nick Naughton, and uh, is supported by uh, two very powerful uh, foundations for reading the John Cochran work. John Cochran is a guy who wrote The Teacher Who Couldn't mm -hmm. Read. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a, an incredible book. And um, Nora, Nora Chabazi, um, who probably you've had on your uh, podcast. Yeah, we actually had all three, uh, is, John, Nora, and, oh, and Nick. <laughs> they uh, all came on so together. So teachers <laughs> may, may, may be uh, familiar with their work. Um, her uh, uh uh, foundation is literacy, but Elby, uh, Ebley. Yep. Ebley. Evidence-based. Yeah. Evidence-based. Uh, literacy, literacy instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Literacy instruction. I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being a dyslexic, I'm terrible with acronyms. <laughs> but, <laughs> that makes sense. But uh, I would recommend that all teachers who are listening to this just Google uh, the Truth About Reading trailer. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the trailer's out, and they can get a view of what's coming up. And it's very uh, heart-touching uh, and hopeful about how we can uh, change things in America uh, and beyond to uh, make literacy available for all children, and especially uh, powerful for kids who are struggling. Can't Thank wait to you. see. Yeah, you we'll, in that. we'll link all this good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. I hope, I hope, you know, I hope, hope I get a 
couple of segments. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We'll, we'll put in a good word for you. Thank oh, you. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. We can't thank you enough. This was really illuminating. I know I learned so much and I wish that I had uh, known some of this sooner. And we're just really grateful that you're here. Absolutely. Thank well, you. Thank you. And thank you all of you folks who tuned in. Yeah. Thank you for listening, literacy lovers. Remember, we have a new episode out every Friday, and we send a super helpful newsletter with follow-up content each Tuesday. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Literacy Podcast. And please reach out with questions or ideas for podcast episodes. We love hearing from you. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com. We are so glad you're here to learn with us. <laughs>